Artificial intelligence won't destroy human beings, but as we try using AI to upgrade our culture, we may find humanity itself getting downgraded. Today, we will explore the promises and dangers of AI for artistic creations. How will machine-generated content enhance or impede our own human creativity? Welcome back to Fantastical Truth, the all-natural human-generated podcast from lorehaven.com, where we explore fantastical stories for God's glory. I'm me, Steve Burnett, Lorehaven's publisher and co-author of The Pop Culture Parent. And as an AI language model, I cannot predict the end of the world. That's why you should turn to the Book of Revelation and human assistants such as Zachary Russell. And this is episode 170, Will Artificial Intelligence Destroy Human Creativity? It kind of will, and it kind of won't, and we're going to get into all that today. Yeah, usually we have a title like that to get you all in here. It's sort of an artificial construct, but we're <laughs> going to be very human, very nuanced in here. Uh, Zach has done some more research into AI, a whole lot more than I have, so he's going to be flying this ship, a human hand at the controls for this episode, and we're going to talk mostly not so much about the robot revolution, but as we'll see how is AI changing how we perceive uh, storytelling, pictures, and books and articles? Well, speaking of changes to how we are perceived, Stephen, I, I notice here on the video chat, which our listeners can't see, but I noticed that you got a haircut. So I want to know, did you let a robot cut your hair or just a boring old human? It was a fairly talkative human being. Not boring. Not <laughs> okay. boring, I would say. Yeah, it's a very nice shop. Haircuts are a little more expensive, but I will take it. I will take it if... Uh, I, it's a human hand that does it uh, rather than some sort of a robo scissor hand. Oh, so you, you wouldn't let a robot cut your hair. Now, Not why is that? Uh, I don't think I want any sharp uh, objects uh, guided <laughs> by a computer near mm. my face. Now, yep, oddly I enough, think I know that rule. robots are assisting with surgeries and all kinds of things. There may be a robot car sometime. I saw that uh, Elon Musk had been driving his cyber truck around the streets of Austin. Uh, he posted the other day. I don't know whether he was driving it or his chauffeur was driving it or if his robot chauffeur was driving it or if the car was driving itself. But this raises a lot of questions, not just for machines, but specifically machine learning and generated content, words and images and all that stuff. In fact, right now, we're planning to uh, showcase a featured AI image that Zach's been holding on to for a while. Uh, it's a great image. It perfectly illustrates uh, the concept of this show. It is a, uh, a human and this sort of uh, giant uh, Japanese-looking factory-looking robot in the middle of a brawl, in the middle of a bookstore. But if you zoom in on the covers of the books, that is not any kind of cohesive language <laughs> uh, in the words that you see all over the posters on the library wall and all over the book covers. So there's only so much that AI can do, as we will see. Of course, uh, as a Christian podcast, we're going to focus on the biblical uh, applications to AI. What do Christian ethics tell us about this stuff? First, however, let's stop by our very human top sponsor of this segment, Oasis Family Media, owner of Enclave Publishing, and they're now releasing an anniversary edition today for the classic fantasy novel, The Light of Adon. Abram has dedicated the last eight years of his life to becoming worthy to touch and tend the sacred flames of Adon and he expects to be blessed for his devotion and sacrifice. But on the eve of taking the vows that will irrevocably separate him from the life he was born to, as Abram Kalodorn, fifth son of the king of Kiriath, he is betrayed by his spiritual mentor and sold into slavery by his brothers. Enclave Publishing presents a special hardcover edition 
of the Christie Award-winning Light of Adon, the first book in the Legends of the Guardian King series by Karen Hancock. It's available July 11, wherever fantastic books are sold. You can order now online or from your favorite bookseller. It's also available in audio from Oasis Audio. Get those links in the show notes for episode 170, this one, or go to lorehaven.com slash podcast sponsors for this and other links to our future sponsors. Zach, uh, you're feeling a little under the weather here, so we've got you some nice hot ginger tea over here. <laughs> Just come along there, sweet man, to the concession stand, and we'll get some uh, we'll get some meds here, all natural, uh, not artificially generated, uh, and any other uh, hot chicken soup or some other things that you may need, especially before we head to Realm Makers. That, that's a bit of a long trip there for you. Uh, you have any concessions for us? Yeah, so we are going to be talking mostly about how stories get made as fans of stories. There is a lot of discussion in the writing world about how you can use AI to craft a book or why you shouldn't use AI to craft a book. And we're not going to get into the craft discussion so much as we are just as observers of these things. And we're also going to talk about AI-generated art because a lot of storytelling goes on through images. Now, we are not computer scientists. We are going to be talking about the large language model, the LLM style of AI that's very popular right now. There's other podcasts you can listen to to help you understand that. I I have a cursory understanding of it, but we're going to be focusing on the layman's take about AI, about what is the meaning of this and how is it playing out. Now, Stephen, uh, a lot of people wonder, is this a political topic? I mean, there are a lot of political discussions about it. Should we have regulation? How is it going to be used in policy decisions in our military? Um, Yeah, we're not really going to get into that. Uh, that, that again, that's that's for other podcasts. We don't think those are unimportant. In fact, we encourage you to stay up to date on those developments because those are going to affect us. You know, are you going to have an AI teacher for your school children? Are you going to have an AI HR <laughs> manager? Are you going to have an an AI bus driver or an AI you know uh, Tesla driver, like you mentioned, Stephen? Th- those are important discussions. We're just not going to get into those here. And, and we are going to highlight some legitimate uses of AI with storytelling. At least I think there are some. Uh, so it's not going to be all negative. But, uh, you know, it's, I, I don't know, Stephen. I, I just feel like this whole topic is, it's evolving so fast. It's hard to know if I feel positive or negative overall towards it. I, I feel a lot of things. I see a lot of ways this is playing out good and bad. But as I was reminded of this earlier today, it's, it's just really hard to make predictions about where all this is going. We, I think we're horrible at making predictions. We saw that with uh, the early 2020s and just a global event that coincided with that period of time. So, you know, again, this this is not really the podcast for uh, making prophetic announcements about the future because that's uh, we're not very good at that either. We're just going to look at what this is doing in the real world at the present. The other concession I guess I'll say here is that I've been using a couple of these tools uh, mostly to experiment and play around with. I don't exactly know that I would want to use these in a professional sense. Uh, I haven't really gotten to that decision yet, but I, I'm enjoying just playing with them. Uh, Steven, have you played with any of these tools? Like what, uh, What's kind of been your experience with it? I did once. A few months ago, uh, when I made some images uh, for a Lorehaven Guild Christmas party, I just went to the, uh, I think it's Mid Journey, which oddly enough is hosted on Discord, which is where the Lorehaven Guild is also hosted. 
but it's uh, much, uh, it's definitely a tricked out uh, Discord server that they're using. You input your terms, of course, famously, and then it will spit out images, and then you can modify which images are your favorite, and then download them in high definition. And I think there's some paid options too for folks who do this a lot if they want to give it uh, get get it done faster. I liked the results. It was kind of fun, but I would never, and I will say this is my ethical hard line if I can stick to it. I'm not going to put AI on a book cover. I'm not going to use AI for any of my writing. I don't think I even see any reason to use it for prompts. I want uh, Lorehaven to be organically generated content. Uh, We're not going to use it for this podcast as far as I know, except for the episode art. And I think that's relevant to this. I think we used one AI episode art before. Uh, We actually had a little pushback about that because there's more being discussed about these images. Are they ethically sourced? And more people are talking about uh, these programs that are scraping the internet, that are just pulling up all the content that is publicly available but then they're arguably removing it from the context of the original website or creator or, or, or DeviantArt or Instagram or any of these platforms uh, that technically are scrapable. And so the image training for these programs is being done apart from the consent of the artists. And that there, I think, as we'll discuss, does get into some biblical territory. Thou shalt not steal, says the scripture. Uh, That applies to all humans. It is universal. Thou shalt not steal. God respects personal property. Uh, He gives us some degree of ownership over ourselves, even as he owns the entire universe. So how much more ought we to reflect that rule in how we treat one another? Well, there's no workaround if you say, well, I'm sorry, I made a program that will steal on my behalf. Uh, That gets into some some really difficult uh, territory ethically. Uh, in terms of uh, ghost writing, I mean, now there's a ghost in the machine doing the writing uh, or, or ghost artistry. I'm very suspicious of this. Uh, and I think that especially as we move forward into territory where giant corporations are viewing human creativity as nothing but content and they want to pay as less as possible uh, or as little as possible to get it in order to maximize the profits and get bigger and bigger. I much support uh, the idea of emphasizing human creativity myself. That's that's where I err on that side. And I think that's why a lot of people are now shying away from these blockbuster movies that increasingly, for various reasons, not just CGI, feel very artificial. Uh, there's the Mission Impossible 7 coming up where they're talking about how real uh, they wanted to make things. And then you've got Oppenheimer coming up where, to a fault now, because I just heard there's naked people in Christopher Nolan's movie. Shame on you, big guy. Uh, they're talking about how there's no CGI in this movie. They use practical effects to set up us the atomic bomb. Um, I admire that. I admire that impulse. And so I admire that impulse in people who uh, want to do things the old-fashioned way and not rely too much on the AI. If we're ready to get into chapter one, Zach, I'm ready to learn. I'm ready to learn maybe a more positive view of AI just in case there are some legitimate uses for it in the creation of uh, art and storytelling. Yeah, and that is going to be the theme today. There are some legitimate uses with a dark side, essentially, to them. So it, it's a mixed blessing at times. But All right, well, chap- keep me out of AI legalism, if you must. Well, chapter one here is that AI promises instant expertise downloads for the minds of storytellers. Now, for each of our three chapters, I'm going to use a reference from The Matrix uh, or The Matrix series. And if you haven't seen this show, that's fine. You're in good company here with, uh, with some people in Lorehaven, and uh, I, I will do my best to explain the scene 
and to uh, try to put in context as quickly as I can. So in the, in the first movie, The Matrix, this is right when Neo is freed out of this uh, virtual reality pod that he's been in prison in his whole life. The human heroes that he's with on the ship, the Nebuchadnezzar, they are using the same technology that uh, inputs knowledge into the brain directly through a wire that goes into the back of your head. Uh, that, that was how the machines were, were uh, imprisoning humans in these pods. But now in, in the ship, you can choose to get this wire stuck in your head and interface with this virtual world. And so his trainer in this scene is a guy named Tank. And uh, Tank goes to these little floppy disk kind of things. He's like, okay, basically, we're, we're going to give you some, some skills here, some knowledge. We're going to download some things directly to your brain. And he's like, yeah, oh, we're supposed to start with these operation programs, but that's pretty boring. Let's, let's have some more fun. How about uh, combat training? And then Neo looks at the little disc and it says jujitsu. And he's like, what? I'm going to learn jujitsu? And then uh, Tank presses a button. Seconds later, the whole knowledge set of jujitsu is, is sent to his brain, rewires everything. And then Neo's like, wow. And then he goes through a bunch of these. And then finally, there's the, the epic quote of, I know Kung Fu. And then right after that, Morpheus says, show me. It's Lawrence Fishburne. And then right after that, we see the, the two characters in a dojo. And Neo just has all this knowledge and all these cool kung fu moves, but Morpheus has experience. And he's able to beat Neo, even though Neo has all this incredible knowledge. So this is kind of how I see uh, artificial intelligence working. You can get instant knowledge about any topic. You, you can get expert level knowledge. So, and, and I'm talking here specifically about chat GPT. So if you go to chat.openai.com, that's where you can play around with chat GPT. There's iPhone apps for it, iPad apps, and it lets you feel like you're talking to a virtual expert. In fact, there's all kinds of great uh, tutorials I've seen of like, here's the best way to get the most amount of knowledge and, and expertise from chat GPT. And there's all these tutorials you can find. But I, I've just played around with it in some kind of fun ways. One day, my daughter asked me, hey, what's the difference between Presbyterian and Methodist or something like that? Or what's, what's the difference of all the denominations? Because a friend at school asked me this who's not a Christian. And I was like, well, okay, I've got a book on my shelf that's kind of about all the different world religions and denominations, and we could spend an hour to go through that. Or I could just ask Chad GPT. <laughs> so I thought this would be a fun experiment. So I literally, this is all I typed in. Quote, make a chart comparing the top 10 American Christian denominations by the 10 major distinctions of Christian denominations. End quote. That's all I gave it. I, I didn't say what separates denominations, you know, and how they're different. I just said, figure it out. And within seconds, like in real time, it starts drawing or, or creating this 10 by 10 chart. And it filled in all 100 boxes within seconds. Now I've looked through this and it's, it's not horrible, but it, there's some problems with this. So yeah, Stephen, well, what do you think about that? Yeah, that was my question, whether it was accurate and by what standard you would judge its accuracy. Yeah. So the accuracy of it is a little suspect. All right. We're, we're not going to get into a whole lot of this today. Can we, can we just pin this for another day? But one of the denominations it included was the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Another denomination included was the Roman Catholic Church. Oh, I'm behaving so well right now. Yep. Uh, another one was the Church of God in Christ. I'm just not familiar with that one. 
And then another one, curiously, was the African Methodist Episcopal Church. Okay. Do they have branches in the U.S.? I mean, I, I just don't know, but that's, yes. new, that's new to me. Okay. All right. So, so three or four denominations, one of which was not Protestant. Well, it's just clear. That's an easy one. Yes. And, and, Catholic and, is not Protestant. Right. And apparently, we just beat the AI on that uh, little <laughs> trivial tidbit. Yeah. So, the, it failed the Turing test. Although, did I specify Protestant denominations? I guess I didn't. But would you call the Catholic Church a denomination? Prob- I don't think a Catholic person would say, oh, yeah, we're a denomination of Christianity. A Protestant who was being very kind would call them a denomination. A right. Catholic, I think, who is <laughs> hewing to the official doctrine of the church uh, would say that they're not a denomination and everybody else is at absolute best a spinoff that needs yeah. to come back to the mother. Well, and again, with, with, with Mormons, they would not call themselves Protestants or evangelicals. So whatever other debate, we, we can have another time about Mormonism. They would not call themselves Protestants. And so, so that's also kind of interesting that it's in there. The, the Church of God in Christ, okay, it says it's a Pentecostal holiness uh, theology. It's under the Episcopal authority. Again, I don't know enough about that. But, you know, the, these, the, the columns it gave were interesting. Denomination, theology, worship style, authority, sacraments, clergy, governance, tradition, mission, and social issues. And on some of these, it was actually pretty good like between the Southern Baptist Convention, United Methodist Church, Presbyterian Church USA, uh, the Assemblies of God. I, I thought, I'm, I'm not going to go through all these, but what it came up with was pretty good. But again, there's all these flaws. So, so right there, it's like you're the guy learning Kung Fu and he knows all the moves, but he gets, he gets whooped because he doesn't really know what he's talking about. Okay, so what, the reason why this is such a powerful tool, though, is because it's such a simple concept, Stephen. It's a conversational web search. I've had all kinds of conversations with ChatGPT on all kinds of topics. Again, just to kind of see what this is like. So I've asked it about lightning. I've la- asked it, where are all the lithium ore deposits? How do armored vehicles work? Tell me these, about these specific things in Japanese culture. Just really random things I've wanted to learn about. And it's kind of a little more fun than a Google search, which I'll talk about in a minute. But the problem is these hallucinations, or what, what they call in, hallucinations, which is basically a combination of insufficient data, biased training, and sort of the, the model itself, which forces it to create an answer whether or not it's, it's accurate. Uh, because the way that an AI works, it must provide an answer, even if it's not correct or helpful. Uh, so this is simultaneously its greatest strength and weakness. Almost never are you going to get chat GPT to say, well, I don't really know the answer to that. Sorry. Like a human would say, uh, or you're not going to get that. Well, no Google search, you know, results for this query. It's going to produce something and it may not be something real. Uh, there was a hilarious example of this where recently, and we'll, we'll link to this, but a law firm got caught using chat GPT to write its court brief. And the court brief included fake cases, and it was using that to make an argument about whatever the case was. And a judge looked up the the cases that it referenced and found out those cases did not exist. And he fined them five thousand dollars. 
Yeah, well, this can happen, of course, uh, as uh, just recently happened in a Supreme Court case where a false fact was passed into uh, at least one justice's dissent. Uh, it was incorrect information that failed to make the fact check. If there was a fact check at all, uh, it seemed to frankly conform to uh, the justice's uh, personal priors. And so maybe it just seemed accurate because it matched the lived experience. And so uh, why fact check it? You know it's real. Uh, so hallucinations like this can happen in research with or without the AI. But right now, it seems to me that, Zach, there's so much mystique and imagination being loaded into the AI, even in terms like hallucinations, which implies <laughs> some kind of consciousness. Like there's so much cutesy language. And I, I know you've seen it. And frankly, I would list that as one of my allergies. Like we've been doing these mm, story allergies uh, with authors that we'll reveal later. But I, I think that people are not even questioning the fact that they're using these, these whimsical terms. Like even I had a conversation with the AI. No, you had an exchange with a program. You give it a name, you give it a personality, you know, it talks to you from the little device on the end table and plays your favorite songs uh, and recites some facts and jokes for your kids. It's a tool. It's a robot. And even if you give it like one of these little Japanese you know, roll around uh, cutesy eyeball robots, like I find them very uncanny, uh, as uncanny as some of the early uh, uh, computer animation that's based on mocap, like the Polar Express and things like uh, it's kind of interesting as a novelty. But the more that people use this cutesy language to refer to these things as human, and yes, they know it's not human, but the more we're now building up this common humanity hallucination that it is human. And because we already have this issue of humans getting together and deciding to hallucinate about basic reality and then pass laws against people who hold to the old realities, that is the actual realities, I, I do find this uh, dangerous, dangerous at, uh, at, at best, actually. Stephen, that, that's so true in that really the problem with AI is the expectations we put on it to be 100% correct. Because we think, oh, it's giving me an answer. It must be the right answer. And it's that instant delivery of knowledge. I, I mean, when I say instant, it is so fast. Like it, sometimes there's a delay and I, I don't quite know why, but most of the time it is like really, really fast. And that tricks us into thinking we can become instant experts. We're tempted to forgo the actual human connection to actual knowledge. Um, a funny example of this was I asked, chat GPT a question about Japanese customs in, in particular how people address each other because uh, Japanese culture has a lot of different formalities to it. So I said basically, okay, let's say I was the CEO of a company uh, and, and Steven here was my, my underling. Steven is not going to call me Zaku-san. Like Zaku is the uh, Japanese version of Zach. Fun fact, Ozaku is a chip brand in japan so basically my name is doritos uh if i go to japan anyway steven would not call me zaku san because that's like a colleague uh in the, but would he call me russell san or would he call me russell senpai and chat gpt said it's the second one senpai but i asked an actual japanese friend steven shaking his head i asked an actual japanese person and she's like no that they would call you russell san even though you're the boss, like senpai is like, you would say, you wouldn't call a CEO that that's like a much higher figure in society would get that title. And, and 
and addressing them. And, and I, I sat and talked to, for about 15 minutes with this person, this is a friend of ours, and it was so fascinating to hear the difference of like, here's what you would say about someone, here's what you'd say to someone, here's what you would say in this setting or that setting. And that, that was so much more valuable than a, than a chat tool. So yeah, Steven, you, you've watched enough uh, anime, you, you've, you've kind of seen these customs, so you, you know that a little bit better. A few, but even then, I, I can only intuit these things. I don't speak Japanese. And just because you you watch some of their cartoons doesn't mean yeah. <laughs> you fully understand Japanese culture. Well, there you you're, you're watching yeah. a copy of a copy of a copy. And then if you went to Japan and expected everyone to behave like they were in mm. a particular genre of yep. anime, uh, that would not only be foolish, but it would be offensive. I wouldn't want people judging Americans based on our popular <laughs> entertainment either. Yes, it's part of our culture, but it's not all of our culture. And it seems to me then that uh, a, a, a learning tool like this, like basically a a glorified uh, search engine uh, can only intuit things about human nature if we even speak about intuition uh, based on the majority or based on what's available on the internet. What mm. about all of the knowledge base that humans have that is not on the internet? It's not digitized, yes, yeah. There is some human knowledge that's not on the <laughs> internet. You know, somebody out there knows exactly how to start a tractor that won't start, even if there's no YouTube video from Farmers R Us uh, telling you how to do it. I'm wondering now, is there someone in Japan that's traveling to Texas and is asking ChatGPT, okay, what do I say to a Texan <laughs> in, in this situation or that? And I, I'm probably, we're probably going to meet people that have gotten really weird travel tips from ChatGPT. There's a hilarious uh, Monty Python skit from years ago where a, a guy uh, has a, I think he's from Hungary or something, he goes to England and he walks in and he's holding his little translation book and he says, my hovercraft is full of eels. <laughs> Guy's like, what, why, why are you saying that to me? Like, you what does said that have to by. do with anything? Yeah. <laughs> so here's the thing. The counter argument to all this is that, well, humans are just as flawed as AI, if not more so. So, okay, AI is not perfect, but is it better? It's the same thing with self-driving cars. Well, AI, yeah, we, we've, we've all probably seen some headlines of a Tesla that crashed into a car, blew up or something. Okay, well, how many human-caused car accidents happen every day? Are AI drivers better than humans? And so what I'm saying is this is how it's going to progress, is that people are, well, it's good enough. It's, it's better and it's quicker and it's easier than actually going out and talking to people. And hey, look. It's keeping things so simple for me. It, it's not bothering me with all these footnotes and all these sources I got to got to look up and I don't have to choose which of the 10 results that I want, like in a Google search and have to mentally weigh which source is more reliable than next. Ah, it, it's like I'm talking to a person. It's so easy. It's conversational. It's compiling the answer that I want. And we'll get into that in chapter three in a minute. Steven, it, it's, it is going to a, a weird place, though, because I, I just read the other day, I think it's Gawker or one of those blogs. They're actually replacing some of their staff writers with AI. No, that's inhuman. <laughs> I cannot get behind that. I mean, look, I understand then the idea of, for example, uh, at the grocery or maybe even at your favorite fast food restaurant. And by the way, we're still in a nonfiction context right here, folks. We'll get to the story in a moment. I understand replacing that with a touchscreen or with an automatic checkout, if they are still being managed by an on-site human being. There's always an on-site human being there, at least in the United States, and I would like it to stay that way. Um, there's something just unsettling and inhuman, uh, and I, I, I 
cannot argue that at this point other than a feeling, but I probably could, if pressed, take it once again back to Genesis 1 and say that God gave the cultural mandate to human beings to make stuff. If human beings make stuff to make their stuff, then we are cutting ourselves off by our own tools from that original created purpose, and we're going to lose touch with our humanity. I guess I don't mind if a robot is making my burger uh, or if, uh, if I'm bagging my own groceries, uh, if it's simple, and if there's still someone there you know, to do an age check or something, if, if you're getting some cold medication, I don't mind that because there's still a human being there and you still have the human interaction. Um, and especially after lockdown, Zach, there is too much going on now where people are trying to separate themselves from other people. There is this cultural conditioning, and this is not political. It's just you could call it accidental or incidental. Um, you could call it even maybe necessary temporarily. But there were so many people that rushed to the forward line of the pundits and said, this is the future. We're no longer going to go to movie theaters. We're all just going to stay home and watch it in our own television sets. We're not going to go to baseball games anymore. We're not going to do this. We're all going to live in pods and eat bugs. And, you know, you've heard the lines. AI seems to have partly come out of that expectation of people trying to forecast the future. And I stand athwart history yelling, stop. We've got enough problems with people trying to pretend to be humans, but not actually being human. Uh, and as Arthur Weasley once said to Jenny, haven't we always told you not to trust a thing if you can't see where it keeps its brain? I can't mm. see where chat GPT keeps its brain. I don't <laughs> know who's uh, uh, sharpening the rules on it. I don't know. Maybe we'll talk about this later. What sorts of um, moral ideas are put into it to say what is and isn't problematic. Uh, one of the most despicable uh, secularist words I've heard to replace the word sin I can't see those things. And so my posture is one of mistrust. I'm going to trust even a flawed human being who is therefore accountable for consequences right in front of me. Uh, then I will trust something where I can't see where it keeps its brain. Yeah. Now there are some, I'll just quickly touch on some positive aspects, which are just factual kinds of things. At least you think so. <laughs> the other day I was trying to write a joke for the Babylon Bee and uh, a headline and I, and I wanted it to be about a Eastern European food. I wanted that to be part of the title and I wanted something that started with the letter D that, that was the important part of the joke. And you know, it came up with like seven things. I don't even know how to pronounce Dobos, Torte, Draniki, Domachi. I, I don't know what any of these words are. And I don't oh, know if anyone else foods. knows. Okay. Yeah. And uh, so then I was like, well, I could maybe change it to go with Borscht because everyone knows Borscht is and Basically, I was trying to make a joke with the acronym WMD or ICBM. Input one of these foods for the uh, for one of the letters, and I went and ended up doing something else entirely. But yeah, it's like you get all this information so quick, and uh, look, it's alphabetized. But is it really what you wanted or what you needed? Like you still have to use your brain to sort through this. Like it doesn't replace your brain at all. It can be kind of interesting to see what it can compile from all these random sources that it has under the hood. And like you said, you don't know what it is. And I don't even know if, you know, Dobos Torte or Draniki, I don't know if those are even real. Uh, it says that one's a Hungarian laid, layered cake. Another one is a Belarusian potato pancake, but no, we all know that <laughs> you know, from the Belarusian uh, fast food restaurant uh, right. down the road with or without the screen or the actual humans yeah. making, uh, making the stuff. 
Now, let me just emphasize, I'm not trying to make fun of any of these cultures. I'm saying, I don't know if these are actual cultural goods. Uh, it because could be I, a hallucination right. then. Okay. Yes. Well, you immediately see then the, the, the problems there. And we'll, we'll talk about this, I'm sure, in the next chapter, where you've got this huge info dumping uh, that the uh, chat software, the, the interactive uh, search assistant can give you. But you yourself, the human, does not have the personal experience or the context or the training to sort this information by priority or even by simple definition. Uh, I'll admit in my writing, nonfiction and fiction, that I've made use of the onboard thesaurus, uh, just a little sidebar in my word processor. Okay, but almost every time, just because of experience and training and a lot of reading and just asking questions of humans along the way, I can look at the words that it lists out as synonyms for the word I've highlighted, and I understand exactly what each word means. Not only that, but I'm using all kinds of different, I can't even, it's difficult to describe calculations, you could say, or judgment to like, will this word fit here? Uh, Is it too long? Will it make the sentence look too long on the page? Uh, Is it hard to pronounce? Do the beginning and ending syllables flow naturally? Uh, with the word before and after? Have I already used that word within the last several sentences or paragraphs? Are there nuances of this word that makes it sound poetically negative or positive? Chat GPT can't and doesn't answer those questions. The, so the thesaurus, see, speaking of words that are difficult to say back to front, the thesaurus cannot answer those questions. Uh, not even every author or reader can answer those questions, but it's all so subjective Uh, The chat software, the AI cannot understand poetry. It can only repeat existing stuff made by existing humans. Say, speaking of creativity, let's go to our second sponsor for this episode. You will never, ever, 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 ever guess who it is. No AI can tell you either because this next sponsor of this episode could be you. Yes, you, good listener. We've actually never done this before in 170 episodes. Actually taken a sponsor segment to advertise the sponsor segment itself. This space for rent. And yes, we'll be talking about this at Realm Maker. So if you are a human author out there who wants to share your story or something else relating to Christian fantastical fiction with the world, uh, we are open for business. Uh, This summer space is for rent. Uh, Definitely reach out to us at Lorehaven. There's actually a whole page for author resources. It's it's lorehaven.com slash author resources we've got uh, image spaces uh, that you can enjoy we'll link those they can't be blocked by uh, ad blockers can't be tracked either but it's probably the most human way to do advertisements on a website that's not being fetched by an algorithm somewhere and the same thing with this podcast uh whether ai is good in certain contexts or not uh, we work personally with folks to bring the best fitting stories to these sponsor segments, whether it's uh, Enclave Publishing at the top of almost all of our shows or any of the other authors or resources that you see in the sponsor two and three segments. Uh, We're going to try to connect you, the storyteller, with the audience that will fit what you're offering the best. So go to lorehaven.com slash author resources, or if you've heard this episode and you're at the Realm Makers Conference in uh, St. Louis, well, so long, screwy. We'll see you in St. Louis, and we'd be glad to share more details about uh, advertising at lorehaven.com. Yeah, and I never really comment on the advertising. I just want to say we are not a podcast with sponsors from weird generic brands like mattresses or pillows or stores or uh, alternative cell phone companies. It's the end of the world and the robots are taking over. So buy my underground shelters (laughs) and my robot insurance. Yes. (laughs) There was a great SNL about that, about uh, robot insurance for elderly people that are worried about the 
robot apocalypse. But yes, we we try to have sponsors for things that our listeners would actually be interested in that are relevant to our show. And speaking of relevant stories, this is chapter two now. AI captivates us with these hyper-personalized stories and art it creates. So now we're going to shift a little bit into talking about the app that you mentioned, Stephen, Midjourney. And there's a lot of other apps like this. There's Stable Diffusion, there's Dolly, too many to, to keep track of. Before we talk about how these, well, we're not even going to talk about how these work, just that they work, but what people are using them for. Let's go back to the matrix to think about a scene that really illustrates what we're going to say here. So this is again from the first movie of the matrix. There's a human character named Cypher. He's been on the ship, the, the Nebuchadnezzar ship with uh, Neo and Tank and Morpheus and the others. He's been working alongside them to resist the machines, to free the humans. Uh, but then he decides to, uh, to be a turncoat and to betray them. And he goes back into the matrix. You can, you can plug your head back in and, and send your consciousness through the wires into the VR world. When they're in the real human world, it's like very grungy. Uh, it, it's very dark and, and gray, and you know, but, but it's real. It's human. When he goes back into the matrix, he's got a, a nice suit on, a nice restaurant ambiance, someone playing the harp. And he's at this really nice meal with an agent. And this is uh, one of the AI creations. Uh, it, it's the machine's uh, avatar that's meeting with him. It looks like an, like an FBI agent or something. And uh, Cypher is kind of deciding whether or not in that moment to go forward with this plan to betray them. And he, he cuts a piece of meat and he holds it up and he says, you know, I know the steak doesn't exist. I know that when I put it in my mouth, the matrix is telling my brain that it is juicy and delicious. And after nine years, you know what I realize? And then he takes a bite. He says, ignorance is bliss. You know, because what the matrix does is it doesn't just present him with images and sounds, but, but tastes and smells and sensations. And so it, it tricks the brain into thinking all of this is real. And, you know, when, when you're actually in the, the pod, your body is being fed with nutrients. And so you don't know the difference. Uh, you're, you're unconscious. This is a really good analogy, Stephen, of what a lot of these uh, images and stories generated by machines look like. So, and, and funny enough, the, the very first time I saw an AI art was, uh, it was Kermit the Frog as Morpheus from The Matrix. And I thought, this is amazing. Like, I, now I want to see a Muppets version of The Matrix. This would be incredible. With Midjourney and these other kind of image tools and, and very soon video tools and audio tools, what these are letting us do is we can letting us create whatever we want. Uh, we can create story like written stories from chat GPT. I, I've done this a couple of times just for fun. And you know, you know, you mentioned poetry. I, I said, well, Hey, write the history of Texas and the style of a Shakespearean poem. <laughs> and it did it pretty well. And uh, I've, I've had it write some other just silly stories for my friends just for a joke. And with mid journey, you can do the same thing. You can make images of whatever you can type in. It will create a, a visual story for that. Uh, people are making videos. Uh, <laughs> there, there's been a, a lot of uh, social warfare happening over brands this summer. One of those brands is Bud Light. And someone tried to make a Bud Light commercial. Like everyone's been making fun of 
how Bud Light is trying to re- recover its brand from, it, we won't go into all that. It is so cringe. It's so yeah. funny, but I would like to announce <laughs> that Bud Light is now the official beer of the DC <laughs> film universe, such as it is. Oh, it, it's just hilarious. They, they've become a meme. Like they're no longer a product. Uh, they're, they're no longer a brand. They are a meme. And yeah, all these cringe commercials they've made. Someone, someone decided, well, you know what? How much worse would an AI commercial be? <laughs> it turns out a lot worse. It can't quite get the animation right. People's hands, you know, bleed together and uh, faces look weird. But this is as bad as it's ever going to look. You know, if you've seen some of these images and you're like, wait, they only have four fingers or something's weird with their eyes. Hang on, folks, because it's only going to get better from here. And by the way, if there's anything I'm going to predict, I'm going to predict this keeps going. <laughs> where, where it ends, I don't know. But it's going to keep improving because I've seen it improve over just the last year. But what people are going to use this for and what they're already using this for is fan art for any type of fan fiction that you want. So think about when in the age of the DVD, and we'd, we'd get DVDs from the store, we'd bring them home, we'd watch the movie. We're like, well, what else can we watch? Oh, look at this. Bonus features on the DVD, <gasps> deleted scenes, <gasps> alternate endings. Wow. How else could this movie have ended and what else could have happened? Well, we're way past that now. We can create any type of version of any type of story that we would like. How this is going to happen in you know mass entertainment, that's kind of up for speculation. We haven't quite seen this yet, but I have seen some good speculations about this. A couple episodes ago, I mentioned this thought experiment by a guy named John Stokes, and he talked about this uh, version of Spider-Man that might come out in uh, on you know a streaming service where every day it's just a brand new Spider-Man story and it runs twenty four seven, and it's continually produced by AI with feedback from humans. You know, thumbs up, thumbs down. Did you like that or not? What would you like to see different? And it just compiles all of this input. It creates all the animation, all the voices, and it puts it all together. It, it has access to all the best screenwriting books that exist, all the Spider-Man lore that's ever been created, all the fan fiction that's ever been produced, and it just makes a new Spider-Man story for every single day, and it never ends. <laughs> I'm getting out of that Spider-Verse. <laughs> that's absolutely horrifying, whether it's Spider-Man or any other superhero. I, I cannot imagine and, and should not imagine. That's, I mean, all the complaints about people saying that superhero movies are feeling so artificial, like that's a problem of too many humans getting their hands in there and too much uh, taking seriously of feedback, false and actual, uh, from supposed fans or focus groups or more likely corporate bosses that don't even know that Superman can't go back to Krypton because, uh, you know, at the beginning of the movie, it exploded. That was an actual infamous criticism of Man of Steel is that an executive, according to the scriptwriter, executive actually thought, hey, guys, there's a plot hole. Uh, why doesn't Superman just go back to Krypton? Like, because it's destroyed in every iteration. Krypton is destroyed. Even an AI would know that. So if you got this artificiality creeping in with human beings, though, just imagine how much worse it could get with AI. Yeah, well, and you don't have to guess how bad this will be because we can already see really bad versions of this now made by humans on YouTube for kids. So this is what John Stokes goes into in his his article. He linked to these really weird 
YouTube videos. One that's called Kid Color Learn Fun Spider-Man Cartoon on Motorbikes, Police Cars Chasing and Avengers for Children. Oh, that's just <laughs> SEO vomit right there. <laughs> right. And then here's another one. Rescue Venom from Blue and Green Spider-Man 40-Minute Action Movie. And it's just these random... This one's actually human characters, but it's all extremely low budget. It, it's And it's 40 minutes long. Keep their six-fingered hands off our kids. <laughs> right. So his point is the people who are making this kind of stuff, they're going to make the Spider-Man Infinity stuff. Because they have no scruples whatsoever. Right. They're anti-human and they're all about the money. That's, right. that's disgusting, frankly. Yeah. That, that is inhuman, I'd say. Someone is going to make this. You know, wh- whether it's a, a, a conglomerate, you know, megacorp streaming service, or it's these randos on YouTube kids. Someone's going to make this and people are going to watch it. They are already watching stuff like this. So is this the end of the world as we know it? Well, this is an opportunity for human creators. That's all I'm going to say. Like, this is where human creators are going to stand above the rest by saying this was, you know, certified organic, 100% original, whatever you want to call it, put the label on it. But we're going to see some really weird stuff with this too, Stephen. There, there was a, uh, uh, this this comic strip called Stone Toss Comics, and it has a lot of really edgy stuff, I'll just say. But they had this one where it's like the Spider-Man multiverse. And uh, the Spider-Man's sitting there, and a portal opens, and he's like, whoa, there's a female Spider-Man. Another portal opens. Whoa, there's a black Spider-Man. And another portal opens, and you see a Spider-Man coming out with the Confederate flag uh, on his chest is like the logo. And it's like, okay, I mean... Yeah, if there's a multiverse, there's a universe where the South won the Civil War, and now it's the Confederate States of America. AI, and AI don't judge. AI don't <laughs> judge your racism. Right. Or, wow. You know that's why there's all this fuss right now about AI regulation and human feedback and uh, safety limits and those kinds of things. But anyway, there's that's there's a whole battle over all that kind of stuff. But you know, really, the true dead end of this technology is. 100% machine-generated content that no one wants or asked for. Uh, Amazon is facing this already right now. There are, these <laughs> there are these books that are being produced by somebody that don't make any sense. Uh, and that in one category, there was like 80% of books uh, or the, I don't know if it's the best-selling books or just the top charts for that day. And it was all just AI-generated. We can link to this in the show notes. But, you know, you, you read these and it's just kind of gibberish. They've been spamming uh, short story contests. In fact, there was one, I, I can't remember the name of it, but there was one sci-fi fantasy, you know, flash fiction website. This isn't the one we've, uh, we, we, we love sites like Havoc. It's not the one like that. It's a more general market one. And they had to shut down for a while because they're like, we are getting inundated with content and we know it's machine generated because we never get this this many submissions. And so... Yeah, uh, but but here's the bright side of that: we can still spot a fake, right? Humans know what you know. It's like you mentioned the Polar Express, that Tom Hanks uh, animated movie, or everyone's like, "Boy, their eyes don't look right." It's and everyone's un- Tom Hanks, right? It's that uncanny valley. So again, I don't think this is the end of the world, but it, it's the, it's the dead end of where this technology goes. So I don't think there's anything necessarily to fear. I, again, I think this is an opportunity for human creators to stand out. But there are some interesting uses for it. And, and so this is where I'm going to try to be more positive. 
There is an episode of uh, Star Trek Next Generation. It's uh, season six, episode 26, called Descent. Interestingly enough, where Lore, Data's evil twin, comes back in the picture with the Borg. Another perennial uh, metaphor here for AI. But it starts off with Data in the holodeck playing a game of poker with Isaac Newton, Einstein, and Stephen Hawking. And this is when Stephen Hawking was alive, so he was actually playing himself. But the other, you know, characters were obviously actors. And, you know, this is in the future, so all these people are dead. And this is all holographic hallucinations of these characters. And Data's just playing poker and talking about the mysteries of the universe. And it's just kind of harmless entertainment, right? Oh, what's the big deal? It's just a card game. We've seen some examples of this uh, in the real world. There was a video I came across. It's Bill Gates having a chat with Socrates. And of course, this wasn't the real Bill Gates either. It was a a video chat generated cartoon version of him. There's audio versions of the Joe Rogan podcast where he interviews people like Steve Jobs or Donald Trump. Uh, you know, Steve Jobs passed away before I think uh, Rogan ever could have interviewed him. And then um, Trump, as far as I know, has never been on the the Joe Rogan podcast. But all these people have so much, uh, there's so many recordings of their voice that these large language models can input all that and then perfectly mimic the voices of these people and the cadence and the the tone. Uh, I mean, the uh, this one gets a little explicit because if you listen to Joe Rogan, there's a lot of cursing in it, you know, and if you, like we talked about in our last episode. So buyer beware, but even that is pretty accurate. And so Stephen, here's where I think it's going to go in the the Christian fantastical world. What are the Adventures of Odyssey episodes that people have always wanted to hear? What no. are the <laughs> No. People. Well, which people? <laughs> I don't know anyone like this. So this actually came up in one of the Adventures not I'm going to cut you off. But it came up in one of the Adventures of Odyssey Facebook groups. Yes, uh, that's Phil what I'm Waller, about. who's been on the show, the godfather of Adventures of Odyssey said, "No, AI is from the pit of hell." Phil may be, uh, uh, you know, curmudgeonly, or at least he plays one on the internet, uh, but I agree with him in that case. Absolutely not. No. Who's asking for this? No. What were those, it, what it's, were those it's, questions it's, they wanted? Or what, I, what I don't it? remember, but it's a, it's a devaluing of well, these the people get married behind yeah. it. I mean, yeah. We've already got, yeah. Who, who, which ships do you want to see? Right, like, right. But that's, that, that is that kind of crowdsourcing. Uh, and you mentioned that in terms of like, you know, 24 seven Spider-Man cartoons or something like that there is the ultimate death of the author. Yeah. Uh, this has been the Borg that, that is now uh, assimilated every part of the author now and has adapted its, uh, the author's culture to service its own. Uh, the hive mind now uh, controlled by the populace, a pure democracy, which is impu- impure humanity to say that is just as grotesque as, as seeing somebody walking around uh, like a digital robot zombie. Yeah. Now, you know, interestingly enough, Stephen, I, I think that emotionally you and I are at the core having the same reaction. Y- you're reacting, though, in, in disgust. I'm reacting in humor because I don't morbid know what else to do. Yeah, it's yeah. morbid fascination. And I just I have to laugh or I'll scream because it is so crazy. And yeah. The, and by the way, I just re- I just realized I made a hallucination of my own. I called it Adventures of Odyssey, not Adventures in Odyssey. Yeah, so, so it can happen so, to the best. It, it of can us. happen, right? Yeah, w- without uh, without a, a glorified uh, text <laughs> predictive mechanism. 
Yeah, well, I mean, we have we have slips like that, and yeah, Zach, I, I think the difference between us here, and I've actually wanted to comment on this for quite some time, so I'm glad you brought it up. You find AI humor hilarious. I don't. I don't. I, I don't. Under, I don't get it. I don't understand. Like, I'll look at it and I'll say, "Well, that's nice, dear," um, but I don't see how it's funny. I think the human beings are funny uh, generally when we're trying not to be, and the more seriously a person takes themselves, the more hilarious they are. And I guess I understand where people are kind of laughing at this tool, but to me, the joke wears off. Now, an exception may be a human being who is hilarious, who is using, for example, AI voices as a tool. Uh, Not too long ago, I think once uh, some underground app somewhere uh, got a bunch of clips of not only Trump and Biden, but also Obama, uh, and then made some sort of a speech model. And then somebody actually maybe like 31 dozen uh, YouTubers got all of these voices and then wrote scripts for them and then mixed them together and then had them doing crazy things like ranking their favorite uh, anime manga arcs uh, or villains from One Piece or playing Dungeons and Dragons with the surprise moderator uh, Ben Shapiro. Now, that was kind of funny, vulgar as all get outs. Uh, so it would violate the tenets we explored in our last episode about the cussing and the fighting, vulgar and a bit violent, uh, audibly so. But um, hilarious, but only in the short term. Uh, after about three or four of those, I was kind of done. I, I was tapped out. It wasn't funny anymore. Uh, even if it was a human being behind the comedy, just using the AI voices as a tool, the novelty wore off very quickly. I think for the AI uh, accentuated art, the novelty has worn off a while ago. And I really, really hope that more creators start to feel the same. Because as we'll talk about in the next chapter, I think that folks are, especially creatively professionally uh, using ai as a cheat code like research i can understand we all use google we're all used to that but whereas google will at least give you some articles that may be written and curated edited hopefully fact-checked by human beings uh, ai skips all that and then just gives it to you as a pre-packaged product and then maybe for example if it's making a cheeseburger uh, they forget to remove the saran wrap uh, from the cheese slice, you know, and then you get this, wait, what happened? There's something, this is not edible. This is not edible. Uh, and then if it sells you to, it sells this to you, then I go, no, this is not for human consumption. I actually pulled up an article, um, our friend Steve, uh, Steve Lobby from um, uh, Steve Lobby agency, publisher of Enclave. He'd written an article not too long ago. Uh, called Old MacDonald Had Some Help, AI, AIO. <laughs> he was talking about how this is happening now uh, in the Christian creative community. And he said, quote, I talked with one author who uses AI to generate advertising copy for their books, catalog copy for online stores, and short hooks to, for use in advertising. The author said that while the content isn't perfect, after some scrubbing and editing, what is used is what the writer needed. In other words, this writer used AI as a tool, but not as the final word on the subject. End quote. Now, I can't call that sinful, but I, I do wonder if you couldn't have got something um, a little bit closer to the heart of the story and the author's very human heart if you'd left the tool out of it, especially because there are all kinds of creative decisions and poetry decisions that should go into generating that kind of copy, uh, even if it's as simple as a summary sentence. You and I are headed to Realm Maker, Zach, so we're going to hear about a lot of people's uh, stories that they've published or are working on. Uh, And the best pitches that I've heard just when I'm asking someone what their story is about are when the person has internalized so much the themes and the main character and the world of their story 
that the author, the creator can look at you with clear eyes and say, my story is about name of main character who grows up in type of world and earnestly needs or wants so-and-so, but is opposed by name of villain or antagonist. So he or she needs to do so-and-so and they speak as if they have met this person and have lived there. It just seems to me that the, the main challenge here is if you're asking a machine to describe a person it's never met or a place it's never been and themes, including spiritual themes that a soulless device can never know, the results are going to be at absolute best filtered through all of the scraps of a hive mind that the machine is cobbling together. Uh, and it's not going to feel right. I think you're going to feel just a whiff of the old uncanny valley if you can compare that to an odor rather than the heart of the author. So that makes me nervous at best. But again, I can't say it's sinful. You know, I definitely admit I have a higher tolerance for this stuff and, and even to enjoy it on occasion. Like I mentioned, the Kermit the Frog version of Morpheus. <laughs> I just, I think that stuff's funny. That's nice, uh, dear. Yeah. But I, you know, I, I think there's an impulse in me that laughs at it because this technology is getting taken way too seriously by some people. And, you know, that's why I appreciate this article by John Stokes. Um, John Stokes would call himself an AI optimist, you know, a tech bro, a technology brother. Like he, he wants to use this in responsible, positive ways. He's a much more libertarian. He's like, keep the government off of this. But, but he also sees the dark side of it. And I, you know, my laughter at this is kind of my way of, of pointing that out uh, because, man, there are there are people that like already have an AI buddy, you know, that they talk to uh, because of I'm not even going to go into this, but there's apps that people have built off of these technologies where you can have an AI friend and, and who will send you pictures. Um, and I'm not even going to talk too much about that, but, you know. Oh, what the this, mind races in a very bad direction. Oh, it, it goes into very uh, R-rated directions. Uh, apart from the prurient dysfunction here, that is tragic. That is that is a dystopian sci-fi yeah. short story right there, just playing out before sure. our very eyes, particularly in nations and cultures that do not, for whatever reason, emphasize human connection in organic human community. Well, and as I've said, you should pay attention, listener, to what is being developed in terms of laws and policies, and we're not going to advocate for anything, but the, the, what's that famous quote from Dune by Frank Herbert? Once men turned their thinking over to machines in the hope that this would set them free, but that only permitted other men with machines to enslave them. Right. And so really, this is what's happening. It, it's not that AI is going to destroy the world. It's that people are going to destroy other people using AI who, who don't think about it, who just accept it and just, okay, my life is run by an AI now. So we're, we're, that's getting us into chapter three. So why don't we uh, go into that here? Right. Pausing, though, for Sponsor 3, once again, I saw the empty slot. I took it myself for the pop culture parent. I would like specifically to ask the parents from the heart this human-generated question. If you have a six-year-old who loves drawing pictures, would you give them access to MidJourney? Oh, no worries, uh, MidJourney or the, the person with the code to the server would say, uh, it's completely safe. It's not pornographic. You don't have to worry about those obvious sins. But now your six-year-old that has access to this tool 
where they can just generate a picture of whatever they want to see. They don't have to draw a picture of Optimus Prime meeting Frodo Baggins. They can just go to Midjourney and ask for it. Uh, I think the same reason you would not give your child access to Midjourney, but would instead give your child art lessons and papers yes. and crayons and markers is why you would also ease them gently into the world of popular culture. And that is the purpose of the Pop Culture Parent, this nonfiction resource authored by yours truly, as well as Ted Turneau and Jared Moore. God has given human beings the ability to make stuff using his stuff for his glory. That's the purpose of popular culture. It's just stories and songs and games and such that are in common human spaces, easier to access rather than being locked away in a museum somewhere, put on the top shelf. You're going to have your child see and hear of these stories and songs. So you may as well train them now to engage them for Christ's sake. Uh, in a world where idolatry as well as God's uh, broken image has uh, affected these stories. We take you through the purpose of stories in this book, and then we apply five simple questions to three case studies for young children and then older children and then teenagers who are ready now to make that big step of growing into popular culture discerners for the glory of God in their world not just to evangelize the neighbors and connect with them over stories and tell them how to find Jesus in there, but in order to glorify God as people have been created for that purpose forever. You can get the Pop Culture Parent from New Growth Press. That's our publisher. Or, of course, get the uh, links in our show notes. Okay, Chapter 3. The real danger, perhaps, is how AI smooths away all the difficulties in our adventures. Thank you. I've been looking forward to this one. <laughs> yes, yeah, so... Our final example from The Matrix, this is from the second movie that many people do not consider canon, The Matrix Reloaded. I have my own feelings about that for another time. But there's a character that Neo meets called The Architect. And there's a great scene we'll link to in the show notes where they have this sort of meeting of the minds, this epic battle of the intellect. And The Architect is this all-seeing, never-sleeping, always-calculating mind. And he's optimizing everything for everything to work in the matrix. And he talks about, actually, there's been six versions of the matrix. And each time there's some anomaly that throws everything off. And Neo realizes the problem is choice. That it wants to create this matrix where people have choices, but eventually there's going to be one person that chooses not to live in the matrix. And we are headed for a future where, where everyone's going to have their own AI. So th this is where I think, uh, th this is the prediction I'm going to make. I don't think we're going to be ruled by some all-consuming AI like the architect. I think that everyone is going to be ruled by their own miniature AI that's, uh, you know, their, their AI companion that they can talk to about anything, anytime, anywhere, at any length. Because what, it, what is an AI? It's it, the architect, the, the scene of the architect says it's a mind bound by perfection. Okay, so that's the promise of it, right? It's this God, essentially, that people want to have. And so this AI is going to make life seem easy by making all the decisions for us that things are too hard for us. Uh, one way this is being used right now is by leading people down these algorithmically tuned outcomes based on their own preferences, uh, delivering us the news that it thinks we want based on all the things we've clicked like on. And uh, there, there's been two incidents of this recently on social media. And I'm trying to keep this bipartisan here as best I can. Uh, example one was this fake account 
called Erica Marsh. The, the Twitter handle was at Erica Report. And uh, this uh, supposed individual with the blue check mark, uh, a young blonde woman um, who said she was uh, an aide for different Democrat politicians and presidents, she wrote a lot of incendiary content that went viral among conservatives. That, that, that's how I came across it. Uh, some of this was in response to a Supreme Court case we won't go into. Uh, but she's been active, or she, this account has been active for a number of years. Well, the only problem is it doesn't seem to be a real person named Erica Marsh who looks like that, who actually worked for these politicians. It, this account had 100 or 200,000 followers. And uh, there's, there's one report, I haven't totally fact-checked this, but there's one report that said this was actually owned by an overseas company that was uh, doing this practice called social selling. We, we can link to this re- report. You can evaluate it for yourself. Again, I'm not going to chat GPT to you and say this is how it is, but no one really knows who is behind this because Twitter deactivated the account. Uh, an, enough people found enough markers that this wasn't real. The new Twitter under Elon Musk has become very intolerant and very allergic to AI-generated you know, accounts and, and bots. Uh, bots pretending to be humans. Now, there are some actual bots, like I follow some bot accounts, like here's an image of Saturn every day. Okay, that's that's a harmless bot, or here's the weather, or here's, um, <laughs> one I really like is time remaining this year, and it's just a little like progress bar. But this was a bot or something pretending to be human, and that's not allowed, especially with the blue check mark. So that account got taken down, and everyone's been debating ever since, whoa, was this all created by ChatGPT? Was it conglomerating content that it thinks Democrats like or that Republicans hate or both? Why is it putting it out there? Is it to farm our engagement? You know, there was a big shenanigans about six years ago or something with Cambridge Analytica doing a similar thing with Republican voters through Facebook. So this is where this is going. Now, another example, I'm going to try to be bipartisan, was there was a uh, a fake ad for the uh, Ron DeSantis campaign uh, w- with images of Donald Trump hugging Anthony Fauci, <laughs> and of course th- this this made some people upset. This made other people you know cheer, and uh, and then it came out okay these are fake images, and then that became the discussion like why are they using these? But again, it's it's content being produced to show people what. The algorithm thinks they want to see. And sure enough, a ton of people saw all this stuff. So AI knows us better than we know ourselves sometimes. And it can tune us into things that make us angry or afraid. It's, it's gladly going to give us 24-7 stories that it thinks we want, like the Spider-Man 24-7. It's going to invent stories out of thin air that it thinks we find the most engaging. And, you know, Stephen. When, when people have talked about, you know, a potential AI apocalypse, th- this is actually what I think, w- well, I don't, I don't think AI is going to destroy the world, but will it kill human creativity? I, I think it can certainly damage our psyche and our imagination by locking us into this fake prison of information and stories that it's creating that it thinks we want because it tracks us everywhere. And how would we know? Now, thankfully, people found out with Erica Marsh and the Trump hugging Fauci that, hey, these are fake. 
And so, yeah, again, I, I think humans have not been totally outsmarted yet, but we are getting outsmarted from time to time. Boy, that, that's a little scary to me, uh, you know, get, getting locked into these fake stories. So let me tie this back to actually our last episode, uh, 169, Should Christian Stories Feel Free to Show Cussin' and Fightin'? And one of the big topics of that episode uh, is the fact that some stories, uh, particularly uh, genre stories uh, set in places or among the types of people who are known for cussing and fighting, uh, if you have a story that does not include these elements in one way or another, even if it's as simple as a short description on the page, he swore loudly. I don't mean you have to put the word in there. That, that does lead to issues, as we talked about in our episode. But if you have a pre-cleaned world, in other words, a world that is smoothed away the difficulties of the adventure, then it's not realistic. It is inhuman. And I think a lot of people who feel like, for example, uh, Christian or clean fiction uh, is, uh, is unrealistic or, or inhuman, they go straight for, well, you need more violence or you need the bad words in order to make it human. Well, not necessarily, but I understand the heart of the complaint. And it's also the heart of my complaint then about the potential of AI smoothing away the difficulties, showing you only what you want to see, pre-cleaning everything, removing the rough edges, uh, just like the mind uh, from the Matrix. Either way, we're going in a very inhuman direction. Now, should we want to be better? Should we long for a world uh, where there is no pain and where humans will only choose to do what's right and moral? Absolutely. But in a biblical eschatology, Christ is the great and personal and loving emotional mind behind the universe. Uh, he is the image of the invisible God, the God who brings order, but is also a God of love and compassion who is slow to anger and merciful toward his creation. That's where we really tie it back, I think, to a Christian worldview is the closer you can get towards greater restored humanity the closer, the more likely you are, rather, to understand the heart of God and your need for a restored relationship with him uh, through the finished work of Jesus Christ. Whereas if you're turning toward an artificial intelligence for an imposter humanity, or you're turning toward or indifferent to art that is being generated by machine, uh, that's getting rid of all the stuff that might make you feel bored and is just giving you a bunch of crescendos one after the other uh, that are sorted by algorithm, uh, you are trying to live in an artificial world. You may as well then be trying to live uh, in a world without actual swear words or actual violence. Uh, we would call that, I think, an over-realized eschatology at best. You're trying to act like you're in a perfect world, but you're not. You're trying to live in a false reality that's been controlled by machines that are, by the way, as you said, Zach, about the Butlerian Jihad from the Duneverse, themselves being controlled by human beings. So if it comes to it, then I am team Butlerian Jihad. <laughs> uh, I will set off the EMP and target only <laughs> the AI generators if I could in order to avoid that kind of fate. Because as we see, we don't even need really machines or these advanced AI uh, to lead us in a more inhuman direction. Uh, we don't need, for example, uh, the sci-fi concept of the artificial womb uh, to have direct attacks on the very God-given human means of reproduction. Uh, it is a grotesque thought, a, a science fiction that goes there ought to then be, and I do say ought, morally ought, to be showing that this is a problem. Uh, Man of Steel did that very well in the first 10 or 15 minutes or so, where you see that Jor-El uh, and his wife have had the first 
uh, natural birth in generations. Uh, and that's baby Kal-El, who's Superman. Uh, they have uh, sworn off this artificial system uh, that the Kryptonians have been using for generations. Um, I'm sure cleaning up all of the um, all of the defected children, for example, or any of the ones that don't quite fit into the Platonic caste system, that's a kind of grotesquerie that I think is born out of Genesis 3 rebellion against the created order rather than a desire to conform to created order. Natural law presupposes that we ought to view artificial intelligence and machines with at least some suspicion. Well, I think there is one use of AI that it's going to be hard to be suspicious of, and it's a technology we've talked about before. It's something like VidAngel, which can automatically remove cuss words or certain cuss words, uh, the nakeds or the bloods or the drugs from uh, any movie or TV show that you want to watch. I was tempted toward maybe a vid, future VidAngel version okay. of Oppenheimer. It is true. <laughs> well, specifically what we've complained about this or what you've complained, I know about this, just to nail you down a little bit here, this is going to be interesting. With VidAngel, there is a human that has to go through it and find all the, the stuff and has to timestamp it, you know, from this point to this point so that when you, you know, delete that on your remote, it mutes that or skips that scene. And so we've kind of said, well, wait a second, isn't this harming the the programmers yeah. because then you've got they to hire have a to... pagan to sin for you yeah. <laughs> or, or potentially sin for you. Yes. Right. And, and it's kind of legalistic too, because, you know, mythical or not, there's this idea of, for example, uh, if you follow a strict religious tradition, you can't work on the Sabbath, uh, then you need to hire a heathen uh, to push the elevator door button for you uh, or carry your luggage uh, because otherwise you'd be working on the Sabbath. So wouldn't it be so much better to have an AI make all these choices for you? That way you're not, so. you're not harming a human and then you're not getting harmed by this content or harming your children. I would just watch another movie. Life's too <laughs> short and I would rather support wholesome, not necessarily clean, <laughs> but wholesome storytelling uh, that illustrates the human condition in creative and new and fantastical ways, uh, but that doesn't need to uh, uh, roll around in the blood and everything else uh, in order to get the point across. I, I would just go for different kinds of stories entirely. I, no shade on the old uh, VidAngel idea there, but you'll notice that they've actually gone further in, in the direction of making their own stories mm -hmm. rather than just cleaning up by human or artificial means other people's stories for which they got into uh, a whole heck of a lot of legal, legal trouble back in the day, as I recall. Yeah, I think that is the correct answer. It's, it's to create and celebrate stories that don't have the stuff to begin with. Uh, that we don't have to close our eyes or mute, you know, close our ears through whether manually or automatically. There is something unsettling about that, which, like I said, it's, it's this whole aspect of AI smoothing over everything for us, taking all the risk, all the problems, all the pain, making life just easy. And do I want to listen or hear or see or have my kids see that stuff? Well, no. Do I want to make life easier for my kids? Well, yeah, but at the same time, no, because my kids have to learn hard lessons. Now I prepare them as best I can so they don't learn hard lessons the really painful and traumatizing ways. I'm teaching one of my kids to drive right now. I'm teaching uh, my youngest kid to ride a bike. And so, okay, there's a lot I have to teach them so they don't make a big mistake, but you have to let people make mistakes and you have to let yourself make mistakes having an, an all-seeing 
mind, a, uh, a mind bound by perfection that makes all the choices for you. And I, I just don't think that's the way to live. But more than that, it, it's what I said earlier. I, I think it's people trying to have their own God. There's a, a famous quote. I think it was Elon Musk was being interviewed. He talked about a rift he had with some of these creators of AI. And they called him a speciest. They said, oh, you, you just prefer humans. Like, we're creating a new species here. He's like, yeah, I know. You're trying to create your own, like, demon god that's going to rule over you. <laughs> I will take Musk's classic-style humanism, <laughs> not the flaws, but the classic humanism approach that he has over this sort of uh, technocratic cosmic humanism hybrid that we're increasingly seeing from some of these aspiring elites. Uh, even the best science fiction is going to illustrate and point back toward humanity through the guise of uh, imaginary future technology. Uh, whereas uh, some of the stuff that just emphasizes these hybrid creatures and some of this, like the further you get from human, the, le- the less human the story is. And therefore, I think that you, the reader, like, I, frankly, I think if you are resonating with those kinds of stories, there's something gone wrong. You're trying to escape your God-given humanity. You're trying to even maybe escape your own body. We see a lot of this going on right now. Uh, that should set off alarm bells, no matter how convenient it feels. And that's why I, I did my uh, my very organic uh, segue earlier uh, for Sponsor 3, uh, the example of the parent with an artistically gifted child who wants to draw pictures. Uh, you would not, I believe, give them access to an image generation software and call it a day. Uh, you would let them play around. You would show them examples of amazing art, totally human generated. You may even give that child art classes, depending on how seriously they want to take this. And that goes back then to Zach to uh, your and Naomi's episode about training your kids to appreciate art uh, and math and stuff at the same time. Like for the same reason that you would not give a 10 year old who's uh, training in math, you would not give them a calculator and then just have them use that to solve all their problems. No, uh, not just because we all had to suffer through the multiplication tables, should children now be made to memorize the multiplication tables, straight up information, memorization, uh, and then also learning through experience how to apply this knowledge in reality, which is called wisdom. AI cannot and will not ever have wisdom. Whereas there's a whole book of the Bible and it's a meta theme throughout all of scripture that our God is not only uh, an omniscient God and all knowing he is a wise God. He knows how yeah. to apply these things uh, in, in a often subjective appearing reality. And human beings are taught to prize wisdom uh, as this great gift from the almighty that impersonates God. Whereas uh, AI can only vaguely impersonate human wisdom. All it can do is, uh, blurt out uh, examples of human knowledge, hallucinations and all. Mm-hmm. Well, and let's get to the core issue, which I think is what is driving so much of this gluttony. <laughs> oh, this is I'm entertainment sure. gluttony of gluttony. knowledge. Yes. Yeah. Content gluttony, mental yep. gluttony, imaginative gluttony. Right. right. Well, and you know, I, I mentioned earlier, what if you could make an AI version of adventures and odyssey and have any sort of character team up or any sort of character comes to Christ or any sort of outcome or someone comes back from the dead, you know, you could create anything you want. Well, would you really want that? I mean, your reality can be whatever I want it to be. Yeah. It's that fake, you know, steak that Cypher is eating. Uh, because what's so great about adventures and odyssey is, you know, 
the human actors behind the voices. They, they've been at the conferences we've been at as Lorehaven. There's humans making the sound effects. You know, some of that is computer generated, but a lot of it is human created. And, uh, and humans are writing those scripts. And so you're making a connection to another human. And it's that connection that is more important than the, you know, just the deliverable, just the content, just the, you know, the, the feasting on uh, endless entertainment. Uh, that is the point of human culture. It's for humans to get to know other humans and build those bridges and, um, of understanding and, and expression and, and ultimately to glorify God. Like, uh, let, let's not forget that. <laughs> okay. We are creating things to glorify God and to point others to him. Uh, it's not just to scratch an itch that we have, or like you said, to escape boredom. Uh, but that is what has created all these technologies. I think. We appreciate all of the humans and not the bots who have joined us for this discussion. And we want to hear from you. All natural human correspondence is welcome <laughs> by emailing podcast at lorehaven.com. We also have a box at our website, uh, completely free of uh, chat agents or any of that sort of thing, lorehaven.com slash podcast. You can get all of our uh, episodes there. Now 170 plus episodes and subscribe free wherever you get your podcast episodes. Of course, you can also tag us on the socials. And if you are in St. Louis from July 13th through 15th, and maybe a little before, a little after of 2023, Stop by the Sheraton Westport Chalet Hotel if you're going to Realmakers and go to the vendor hall. We will be down there. Uh, if you're not going to the conference, we still have a free uh, bookstore event that Realmakers is putting on on Saturday night starting at 6.30 p.m. Central. You can find us there along with a lot of uh, celebrity authors roaming about. You can buy books. You can connect with Lorehaven. You can see what this whole Christian fantastical gig is all about. Well, that ongoing conference also means that lorehaven.com uh, will be a little light on the content this week. In fact, I think this podcast episode is the only new offering we have at the site, but you can subscribe free and get any of the articles that we publish whenever we do, along with any news updates. You can select what you get from us. We usually have reviews on Fridays, just not this week. Our last review, though, was of Chuck Black's Star Lore series, the Star Lore Legacy series. Nova was that first book. It's a really fun one, a kind of a Prince of Egypt meets a Star Wars epic. I think he has five books so far. We read one of them and have a review of that. You can get that review in our show notes. Next on Fantastical Truth, as mentioned, uh, Zach and I are both headed to the Realmakers Conference, but we're also taking our portable studio with us. So if you are attending this St. Louis event, if you're a Christian creator or reader, Stop by our Lorehaven booth in the vendor hall. And this time we are planning our next episode to have some exclusive focus after the event on the 2022 Realm Awards banquet and some of the themes that we hear at the expected keynotes at this event that celebrates Christian-made fantastical tales. Meanwhile, if you're a human being maybe tempted toward the dark digital arts, please proceed with caution. God has given us science. He has given us minds to make tools. But as every good sci-fi and every good nonfiction resource about this topic will remind us, make sure to use these tools responsibly. Be aware of the risks inherent in the scraping art to make new art or scraping text to make new text. And most, I think we can use these things as a research tool, but fact check everything and compare everything to the wisdom that God has given us. 
and never ever expect perfection from anything, especially when you can't see where it keeps its brain, except expect perfection from Jesus Christ as we continue to seek and find his fantastical truth. <laughs>